It demands that we tell sinners the whole truth. We will not go quietly into the night. Christian Cornerstone Podcast. All right, we'll leave that up there. And hello, everybody. Welcome back. I would say welcome back in a long time uh, to a new episode of uh, our Bible talk show. As you know, uh, those who have been following along uh, in the past, uh, we had another gentleman joining us. Uh, he had to back out uh, to you know, focus on some of his other projects, ministry, uh, in which he was dealing with. Uh, so we had to cut back on the show a little bit. However, as of last week, I believe, approximately maybe two weeks ago, we had a gentleman reach out. He's like, hey, I like your project. You know, let me, uh, you know, chime in. So that's what we're going to be doing today, um, which we'll find out a little bit more about him here in a moment. Now, for those of you who are chiming in, uh, who are watching this uh, video um, or even listening to the audio, whether it be YouTube, Facebook or any of the other podcast channels, again, you know, look up uh Christian Cornerstone, find our logo, and you can subscribe to the audio, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, just about anything you can possibly think of. Subscribe to us on Facebook, YouTube, and uh, if you do enjoy these broadcasts and you feel like you're getting something out of it, most importantly, if you feel like you're getting something out of this and you know getting a deeper understanding of the biblical faith, uh, feel free to support this ministry. You can do so by going to our website, clicking the Patreon link on our support us page and becoming a monthly member through that. So uh, without further ado, um, we're going to go ahead and introduce Mr. Ethan uh, to this broadcast. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Yeah. And thanks for having me on. Yeah. I'm uh, like I shared beforehand, I'm actually really excited about this. Um, you know, one to bring back the project Two, like you said, to, um, you know, join or to conversate about the word. I mean, uh, uh, you know, it seems like it's a little something that me and you are both excited about to, to really share. So uh, I'm really excited to see what happens and, uh, you know, really see uh, see what you know, see what you don't know, see what I know, what I don't know, and, uh, you know, see how we can uh, really help the uh, other individuals who may be listening in uh, to go deeper in uh, to the Word of God. So Definitely. Uh, you did say, uh, well, I guess before we get into that, uh, for those who uh, are listening to this, um, what, to, what I guess you got a Cliff Notes version, you know, can you tell us a little bit about you real quick? Uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, grew up uh, out in Colorado and uh, attended a Lutheran church my whole life, pretty much. And then um, got married at, man, 23 um, and uh, learned real quick that I was not a Christian as much as I claimed I was. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as we were searching as a husband and wife, trying to find a place to, to call home. And, uh, we found a, a, honestly, I was driving through the mountains up in Colorado. There's no radio signal at all whatsoever. And I all of a sudden start hearing a guy talking. I'm like, well, it's the only thing on I'm driving to work. I'll listen to it. And it was a pastor teaching the word word by word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And, uh, he happened to be based in the city we lived in. So oh, wow. we started going there. In uh, Colorado? In Colorado, yep. Started going there. And if I'll tell you, when we started going there and started learning the word, that's when our marriage really came alive. We, uh, there was, there, it, was, it was dead. It was a terrible marriage. You can ask my wife. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> really, it was the word that brought joy to our marriage, brought joy to our lives. And, and um, then we moved uh, after going there for four years. We ended up moving out to Muskegon, Michigan. And um, we have two daughters and a son. Um, and uh, we've been trying to find uh, a place to call home here. And um, it's, it's a, as I put it to my wife, it is a very, very churched area, just not a very biblical area. Right. And um, that's partly why I, when I saw your, your um, advertising for help, I was like, well, you know, I'm going to jump right on in, you know, because this, uh, I see a need and I want to do what I can to help. So, right. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's actually a, I put a blog article together. I don't even think it was that. that I think it was an, just a personal post over social media. Uh, but I try, you know, try to throw that out there. And uh, I'm a guy that likes to likes to challenge. Um, uh, I've known, you know, I've grown in, in challenges myself. But I, I threw something out a couple of days ago uh, to my local church about that. That you know, everybody in themselves has a gift as a spiritual gift, God has given them. It's not, our gift is not to sit in the pews and listen to the pastor on Sunday mornings. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, that every, every believer should 
be getting involved in said church or even just a ministry like what you're doing here um, in some way or another. However, it is that they can uh, partake in that because uh, otherwise we're really not using our, our gifts um, or I guess, biblically speaking, our talents uh, that God has given us uh, to invest back into his word uh, and which we can be called a good and faithful servant for our faithfulness with what he's given us. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think everybody has a calling. Everybody can be involved in ministry in some way or another. Uh, it's just a matter of finding out what that is. So I agree. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what uh, I'm just curious if I know them, what was the pastor's name that you had in uh, Colorado? Uh, I don't know if you've ever, uh, are you familiar with Calvary Chapel and uh, Chuck Smith and um, that, that group? Nope. Okay. Well, Calvary Chapel, um, they started in California in the seventies. Um, and like I said before, they teach expository teaching, systematic expository teaching. Right. And um, our pastor in Colorado, his name is Pastor Dave Love. And he, uh, um, for lack of a better way of putting it, is second generation Calvary Chapel. <laughs> um, and they adhere to um, what I would say, as I was telling you before, would be four points of Calvinism, you know, and that's kind of kind of where they come from is, you know, scripture alone, um, grace alone, and so on and so forth. Right. Um, and uh, so, again, that's Pastor Dave Love in Cav uh, Castle Rock, Colorado. So. Okay. Oh, um, I'm just curious. We don't have to go into discussion with this. Uh, is uh, the four points, is that something that you personally, is that just your understanding or is that something that the church itself also taught? Uh, that's my understanding, and that's okay. my understanding of from from their teachings. They had didn't come out well. Actually, that's not true. Dave Love actually has an entire series dedicated to why Calvinism is not biblical, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've listened to it, and I agree and disagree in certain areas. So okay, um, um, so that's that particular Calvary Chapel. They um, I I don't know about. I can't speak for them all, obviously. Right. So. Okay. Yeah, I was just uh, a little curious about that. So. Um, I guess um, I, I wanted to, I'm trying to think of another quick question for you. Um, is there any particular, and then we'll get into the, the, the podcast or the, the discussion here. Is there any particular biblical strength that you personally see yourself having? If that makes any sense. Um, I guess I'd have to ask for clarification. What do you mean by biblical strength? Like, Can't really narrow that down anymore. Okay. <laughs> Can't really that down anymore. Um, well, well well, let's say for an example, um, uh, I guess teaching or an understanding is where I would want to go with. Um, I don't know. I, I you know, I, I, I kind of had an idea. Um, I, I, what I'm really just trying to draw out is just a little bit more uh, from a personal side of, of, of who you are a little bit. So we'll focus on that a little bit more in uh, the next couple you know, shows that we do together. Um, that was just a little fun piece I was trying to throw in there, For but sure. I, of course, clearly failed that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay. So you said that you had a, uh, you know, a brief introduction that you were able to pull together. Uh, you know, if you have anything, go ahead and share that. And then I'll just kind of, uh, fill in an additional comments, uh, and regarding what's going on with, uh, the church in Corinth here. For sure. So, um, it's, you know, in my opinion, and uh, I wouldn't just say my opinion, in many people's opinion, context is in incredibly, supremely important when we're looking at the scripture. So the context of uh, Corinth of the time is they were very affluent. They were rich. They had tons of money, all the commerce coming from Athens, going to the southern uh, portion of Greece, mm -hmm. and vice versa, was all going through Corinth. And Corinth was also at a very narrow point on that peninsula. So they would actually carry cargo over that narrow point to the other side of the Mediterranean Sea because it was safer than sailing around. And the reason why this is important is it shows that this is a central location on the map. This is why Paul, in my opinion, probably went there is there was lots of travel through there. Um, it being affluent, um, again, lots of money, which also brought very large and grand temples to Aphrodite and so on and so forth. Um, and a common form of worship in Corinth at the time was um, temple prostitutes. They had upwards of a thousand temple prostitutes that would come out every night, um, do their trade, and take their money back to the temple. And uh, this is really what Paul, um, if I understand correctly, is really getting at, is the church 
was in Corinth, but they weren't separating from Corinth. They were still um, to some degree a part of the, the practices of all these things going on around. Right. Them. And um, sorry, go ahead. No, continue. I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and just fill in uh, my thoughts once you get done there. For sure. Um, so um, I heard it said, um, I don't remember who said it, but he said it's basically, Corinth would basically be New York, Las Vegas, and Hollywood all put together. The, the pride of entertainment, because there were um, uh, games there that were second only to the Olympics. So mm-hmm. they were really about entertainment. Um, and then, um, when it comes to Las Vegas, lots of sexual sin, uh, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, same, same concept, you know, right. what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And then, uh, finally would be, um, commerce as New York. Right. Um, and, uh, I guess really I'll, I'll kind of close with this is, um, Chuck Missler is a pastor I listened to. Um, he's no longer with us. He's with the Lord. He, uh, he put it this way, um, coming from Colorado, I understood this completely. We had bumper stickers on all our cars. I mean, you could see it everywhere. Every native in Colorado had a sticker that said, don't Californicate Colorado. And there was a very similar saying in ancient Greek, which was um, Corinthazomai, which literally means to live like a Corinthian. Um, and it meant to live sexually out of control. And that was the context of the church of Corinth was just this abundance of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, Nonsense. Yeah, that Chaos. works. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I was uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. Um, I think it was last night, uh, maybe, uh, sharing this uh, the project we're doing here, uh, talking about Corinth. And uh, I, I want to read this if uh, to Corinthia. This is just a quick uh, snippet from this this uh, introduction here. It says to Corinthian Corinthianize um, became uh, representative of gross immorality and drunken debauchery, uh, characterized many believers of the church there. So to be Corinthianized was really a stigma uh, from what I can tell, uh, you know, the church itself uh, I mean, it obviously wasn't there about, you know, 2000 years ago, but I mean, they, it, they had a huge struggle to yeah. pull out of paganism. I mean, they're basically like on the, the intersection of the, the world's trade route right there. Uh, you know, pagan religions coming from all sorts of areas. So you've got these influences of these other religions of that time, checking out the church temple and saying, Hey, yeah, you know, I want to be a part of that. Oh, by the way, let me bring some of my religious traditions in too. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was a huge challenge in which they dealt with. And, uh, you know, we'll see this as we get into this, that Paul really, uh, reprimands, rebukes and encourages the, the cleansing and the purity of the church out of, uh, that lifestyle. So, um, you know, and like you were talking about before this broadcast, is this uh, the church here, uh, the Church of Corinth, really relates to us today? I mean, you know, if not almost identical. Um, and I, I personally, in my views, what I, I would compare that uh, the churches of Revelation—that's my go-to. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you look through those, you see that this is the spitting image of what we have going on today, and it really goes to show that while humanity itself evolves or the the um really the only thing I, that i would label in there is technology is the only thing that improves everything else stays the same everything moral everything religious it's all the same yep. the same stuff that they dealt with that jesus dealt with that the old testament dealt with um that the, the reformers dealt with this is the exact same stuff we're dealing with today the problem was and this is why you know i said i want us to try to personalize i per, personalize this is um we can sometimes get in the mindset of wow you know corinthians they dealt with this thank god i'm not like this um or you know and I've, i dealt with that at a past church i was at or even with revelation um when we study those churches we get into the minds that same mindset and you know wow you know thank you god we're not like that and we're living holy um and, and i think we can use this to really evaluate and break down in our personal lives and even in our churches where the flaw is. Um, right. I was sharing just the other day, you know, there's, there's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect Christian, but there is always room for improvement. And I think that uh, is probably really the focus uh, or something that's really on Paul's mind when this is going on. I mean, he obviously sees that they are so paganized in their worship but um, in general, uh, the general principle is that there's always room uh, for 
spiritual improvement. And I probably pull Romans seven out with that as Paul's personal example, having that constant battle with himself, with his sins while agreeing wholeheartedly with the law of God. So he even as from what we tell the most righteous, more or less the most righteous man in the new Testament even sees his errors. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's really good that, um, that we have that. And, you know, for those who are listening in uh, to this study, as we get into our reading, uh, take that to heart, you know, ask yourself, is this really something that you have a part that you're a part of? Is this something that you're personally dealing with? Um, you know, as we go through the entire scripture of Corinthians in our discussion, um, and even maybe even ask your church or, you know, ask, you know, is this something that we have going on in the church? If so, then I would challenge you to take the role of Paul and address that issues. So um, how do you want to start this? Uh, this is our first one doing together. Um, my thoughts really is just uh, uh, unless you wanted to jump to 10, I'd say we can go ahead and you know just do a quick recap or any, reading the introduction Paul has here uh, and then really kind of focus in uh, on the topic at hand if you'd like. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. You know, there, I think there's some things we can glean from those first few verses that, uh, right. you know, for example, uh, if you don't mind, I'll just jump right in. No, go quick. ahead. Go ahead. Um, so Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, a super uh, interesting thing that I, when I was studying this, I was going through and noticed, you know, Paul is pointing out his authority. And so he's saying, listen, uh, he's not trying to show off. He's saying, listen, I'm an apostle. I have been called. And we know he's been called because there are some major requirements to be an apostle. One is being, right. having witnessed the resurrected Lord and also being appointed by Jesus himself. Paul was both. Um, and another important aspect is uh, there's a few th directions we can go with Sosthenes. The one I want to really focus in on is the fact that Paul is bringing with him somebody that is very aware of what's going on uh, with um, the Corinthians, you know, when we read in uh, Matthew where Jesus says, you know, go to somebody and speak with them. And then if they still don't repent and change their ways, bring somebody with you. Matthew 18. Right? Yes. Yep. So if you were looking at Corinthians, this is actually not the first letter written to the, the, the church of Corinth. This is actually the second letter. First Corinthians is. So we know that Paul has already tried addressing them once before. And I think there's a reason why he's pointing out Sosthenes here. He's saying, listen, I'm bringing somebody else with me that is very aware of what's going on. So I think this gives us a good pattern of uh, how to approach these situations that we're about to read. Um, so that's kind of what I gleaned from the first verse there. Um, yeah. This uh, commentary that I have here it, uh, says it's probably Paul's secretary, a former leader of uh, Corinthian synagogue. So he's, he was a minister of the synagogue, uh, you know, Pharisees or even possibly an ex, uh, ex pagan priest of yeah. some sorts. It actually says in Romans, uh, excuse me, not Romans, Acts 18, um, it talks about Sosthenes. He actually, uh, so Paul goes to Corinth and he um, uh, talks to the synagogue there and the leader of the synagogue becomes a Christian and they kick him out of the synagogue. So then Sosthenes takes over and takes Paul to the leaders of Corinth and says, this man's not teaching um, God correctly. And they said, well, this is your problem. You deal with it. Um, and so then the Jews, it actually says the Greek in some version, the Greeks in some versions and the Jews in other versions turned and beat Sosthenes. Um, the reason why it would be the Greeks is they're wasting their time. Uh, as in Sosthenes is wasting the Greeks' time with this nonsense. Um, the reason why it would be the Jews that beat him is because they, he didn't do a good job getting Paul in trouble. Um, and then we find him here. The next time we see him is here. So obviously there's a pretty cool conversion story there, but that's right. a rabbit hole in and of itself. Um, <laughs> So that's really uh, um, why I find him important is we know that he, he lived in, in Corinth to the point of where he was appointed as a leader in the synagogue. And that's, like I said, why I find him super interesting and important in this first verse here. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, Sosthenes here, uh, and I'm, I'm having trouble comprehending this myself because I've specifically sure. Sosthenes, I haven't, I've never pulled that out. So for sure. Um, I'm trying to really get up to your level on that specific piece. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. No, I'm, I'm also talking real fast. Part part of the problem is, is it's freezing in my garage. I don't have any heat in here. <laughs> and so, well, we only got 20 minutes left and then you can kind of, uh, you know, say peace out. I'm going inside to get warm. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, okay. So Paul, he ends up uh, in verse uh, three, 
you know, grace to you. And I, I love this. I think, you know, and, and uh, like I mentioned uh, previously is, you know, if you have to address the church, uh, you know, such as Paul did, um, take this, take this blueprint uh, as an example, you know, make it known, you know, I have great admiration for the church. I have, you know, I look up to said pastor, I think you guys are doing certain things wonderfully, um, you know, whatever it is that a person might have um, and make it known that, that you're not really bringing this up simply as a condemnation, um, but more as a loving encouragement to we can do better. Um, here's the error that I've noticed. Here's what the word of God has to say about that. So I think this is really a, a wonderful tactic, uh, whether he's doing it intentionally or not. Um, we've got a comment somebody shared. I think Ephesians 4, 8, uh, Paul deals with unity in a very clear manner. Um, yes, uh, we'll actually, we'll get to that here in a moment uh, because this topic is, will be about division. I don't even know who shared that. Um does your comment say uh, Cornerstone on there? I'm a little curious. I don't see, see any that? comments. No? Okay. No. Um, that's just kind of interesting. Um, I know I didn't comment it. So, um, okay, so we get into this, uh, and he really, you know, saying grace and peace be with you, or, or uh, grace to you and peace from God or Father and Lord Jesus. I give thanks to my God always because of the grace of God that has given you in Jesus Christ, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking any gift. So I was really wanting them to, uh, from what I see here, with what they have spiritually, really use it to the fullness. And uh, as you wait, I lost my spot here. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you continue on using their gifts in which God has given you as you wait for his second coming. Uh, who has sustained you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called and into fellowship by his son or in fellowship of his son, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this brings us uh, to our, our, our topic here, the division within the church. You know, how are we specifically to deal with that? What is the importance of division? Um, why should there not be division, I guess is what we would say. Um, Paul goes in to say this and continuing on in uh, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. I'm losing my spot here. I got to get my pointer. Uh, all of you agree and that there be no division among you. So he's saying, it's like, you need to stop with this division. It's not good. It's not healthy. But that you be united in same mind. I think that's important to point out. And same mind and same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is a quarreling among you, uh, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Peter. I follow Paul. I follow Paulos. I follow Cephas, which is Peter. I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name or in Paul's name specifically. And he says, I baptized also the household of Stephenus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anybody else. So his memory, I would assume, is getting to him that or he's you know been around so much that there are certain names or certain groups that are kind of getting mixed up so having a hard time narrowing that down you know what what all who all did i interact with in corinth uh beyond that okay we read that in verse 17 is for christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of christ be emptied of its power so I guess I want to kind of take this backwards a little bit um, because what I think, uh, and I, I put together an article uh, the other day about this issue, is this idea of baptism, that uh, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach. That's not to say he didn't baptize, but from what I'm gathering from this, uh, now it's looking at my commentary uh, to help out with this understanding, is um, 
with this piety that these people are dealing with, saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, Peter, or the most pious would say, you know, well, you guys follow those. We're going to be the red letter Christians and we're going to follow what Jesus Christ wrote or you know, talked about. Um, Peter's not only reprimanding that, but he's making it clear. It's like, this is not at all my plan. My baptism you know, I baptized a few people, but that's not the purpose. I'm not baptizing you into a little Christian cult. I'm baptizing you into the name of Jesus Christ himself. That is where this unity uh, is to be focused on. It's not that we're supposed to follow Peter. It's not supposed to that we're supposed to follow Apollos or Paul. Uh, and I think it's rather interesting to point out is that this is the, the kind of division that's going on here is that we're going to listen to this leader of the church. You can listen to Paul as your leader. We're going to listen to Peter. You know, these guys over here, they're going to listen to Apollos. And this is exactly what Christ himself was against when he talks to the Pharisees. You know, don't call these uh, these people rabbis because you have one rabbi. Don't call them fathers because you have one father. Uh, you know, it's not that there's no problem calling somebody a teacher, but to the point was is that they were holding these people to a, such a high higher authority than what they deserved um and paul himself he he completely rejects that position so much that uh we see here that is for christ um as far as why he's doing this this is the the priority if you guys are going to follow anybody come together in unity under christ so um, I'm going to stop right there and let you kind of give a uh, little uh, comments, thoughts, if you have uh, anything you'd like to share. Um, well, uh, when it comes to unity, one of the things that um, as I was listening to some commentators and reading, um, I don't have any of that in front of me because like I was telling you before, I'm using my phone. Right. Um, the uh, what really stood out to me was that this was talking about localized unity. Right. So if you read Charles Spurgeon, he talks about I thank God. Or denominations because this preaches a whole gospel that's what uh, charles spurgeon the prince of preachers would would viewed um denominations so that's um and i would agree with him i don't think this is talking about this broad spectrum unity because i think that there's a lot of depth in each one of them that some are missing out on if i'm making any sense are you following what you talking about like one division over or one denomination over another yes that's okay. what i'm talking about um, but this is talking about localized unity in the church body. It, this is talking about not having, um, I'm, I'm trying to recall how it was worded, um, uh, unity with the, the leadership, right? If you go to a church, you're submitting yourself to that authority. Now, if you may not necessarily agree, um, but there's nothing necessarily biblically wrong with it, you should still be submitted to it. Right. You know, that's that's the point I'm trying to get at here, if I'm making any sense. So um, that's one of the things that really stood out to me. And then um, um, uh, I did notice something that was kind of doctrinal. I don't know how far you want to go down that road in regards to a specific doctrine that some churches do teach that I, oh, I feel free. We could make an argument here. Um, you know, some churches teach that baptism is a requirement for salvation. Well, we can see right here that Paul thanked God that he baptized none of you except he couldn't thank God um, if baptism was requirement was a requirement for salvation. Um, so I think that you can make it a pretty clear argument there just from that statement alone that baptism is not a requirement. So, right. Yeah. And I, he's uh, specifically speaking of um, a water baptism as well, yeah. the, the yeah. symbolic usage of that. And I, I completely agree with you on that. The, what I go to uh, for that argument is uh, the thieves on the cross. This man was baptized um, after his conversion. You know, he only had what, like five, 10 minutes or whatever to live. And Jesus affirms him right on the spot. It's like, dude, you're going to be with me in paradise. Just go ahead and, you know, relax. Um, so, right. uh, yeah, I mean, water baptism, uh, it's not a requirement. Uh, I mean, I think it's healthy to do. I think I all, all believers should do it. Um, but just because you don't get to be baptized by water before you die does not mean you're going to go to hell or anything like that. Cause even though you had weren't um, dumped in the water, God himself still changed you. So exactly. you know, that's already guaranteed. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I have a problem uh, personally with denominations uh, mm -hmm. and I completely, I understand, you know, how in a nutshell to my understanding and you have the core 
of the of it of where these come from is you know we can use that as an example the baptism you know some some groups some denominations say well you do have to be baptized by water and some say you don't um you know sprinkle baptism full submission but uh, i mean there's various other arguments that denominations would have over another um but uh you know i, I would argue i would say that denominations um I, I, I can't condemn. I won't condemn because there's some really good ones. Uh, you know, they, they teach some that would teach the word of God. So I can't, I don't necessarily condemn it as unholy, but I don't really see, I see it being more of a danger uh, mm-hmm. because within, you know, the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, um, the Episcopalians, spaghetti, mo- no, not the spaghetti monsters. <laughs> what are those guys called? They're not uh, even a Christian denomination, so we're not going to worry about them. <laughs> um, but within the, within all the denominations of Christianity, and I looked it up, it's really interesting. There's about uh, 200 professing denominations in America of Christianity. Right. Where that number comes into play, holy cow, I have no idea. Um, but e- within each denomination, they have a set core of beliefs. And, you know, you talk to one one denomination that says full submersion. You have another one that says sprinkle. You have another one that says, let's drink wine at communion. Another one says, let's just go ahead and have grape juice. Um, another one says women need to keep their hair down, you know, or up or, you know, wear dresses or pants, you know, whatever. Right. Um, so, I mean, there's those division. Those are all minor issues, of course. Right. Um, but within that you have the, in the internal being that conflict of this is what I've always grown up believing. Um, and each part, each person has that perspective. You know, I'm right because this is how, this is how I always, always believed. And not only that, but this is what, how the teachers of said church has explained it. And it's convincing enough to me to say, yes, this is true. So, right. um, so if you don't mind, I'll, I'll interject real quick right there. Okay. Is that not exactly what Paul's talking about is the unity where it comes, where, where scripture is our unity. Yes, we may disagree on these minor issues, which ultimately are not salvation topics. And is it truly weighty enough to, to, to cause division, I think is a kind of almost a point he's making. Right. And I have to agree with you on that. Um, but I, I think what personally, what I, what I would get at is that it, when we have those divisions like that, um, the best thing to do, which is what Paul is saying, is like, hey, you know, in a nutshell, you know, it seems like he would be saying from one perspective that, you know, don't listen to me, listen to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm here to my my goal wasn't to make little Christian cults. My goal was to preach the gospel. My priority was to preach the gospel. And, and you know, it says here that he really didn't have the, the best eloquent wisdom uh, as the cross be emptied. So he, he made it as simple as he possibly could. Um but uh, when we have these divisions, my point is, is that we need to uh, really come together with those divisions uh, and say, okay, well, let's look, let's look in the word of God. Let's find out what this has to say. Um, you know, you say such and such about this issue. Where is your passage? What's, what are you using to support that? Go through that, read it, and then, you know, compare what you personally know from the opposing side. And I think that would really bring that um, – that understanding together. I mean, yes, there's of course minor issues within the church that we, you know, shouldn't consider um, to be dividing topics. Right. Um, However, uh, it seems to me that like the, the big issue here, I think I saw this here was that verse, uh, verse 10, he says uh, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. So the same understanding is what he's wanting to get at. And there's actually, I want to share this as an example. If I still have it in my pictures, I don't know what I, if I did it, here we go. Um, This comes and I I completely agree with this. Um, There was a a picture. I don't even know where I got this from. Uh, It's attributed to uh, Andy Stanley. I don't know if this is something he actually said or not. Uh, Church unity is more, which I believe if it was, uh, church unity is more important than being theologically correct. Uh, And then the second half of this is attributed to John MacArthur, where he says false. True unity is only built upon sound doctrine and right theology. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, yes, there is minor issues. However, uh, theology itself is really the basic 
standard of this unity. Right. Um, being that it is the study of God, it is the study of his word uh, and in everything that encompasses him. Uh, we need to have a right or better theology than what we have now in order to just in general come to a better understanding of who God is. And that's where that unity that uh, I think he's really trying to stress comes into play here. Right. Is, um, uh, sorry, uh, that made me think of, and I agree with John MacArthur, where it comes uh, through doctrine and under correct understanding, right? We can agree right. correct understanding of scripture. And I agree wholeheartedly, but what also comes to mind is, you'll have to forgive me, I do not remember where this is for the life of me. Um, where Paul's talking about, um, you know, if there is a weaker brother uh, and they have a problem with you eating meat sacrificed to idols, um, um Basically, you need to concede the point because they their conscience is weaker than yours. Right. So if it's a not a dividing issue where you know we're not talking about the deity of Christ or you know the the fact that he was fully man or any of that, we're talking solely on these minor topics. If you have correct understanding, then we should not be creating division over it. So how, you know, based off of what we're reading here, do you see a way where we can approach uh, false doctrine? in a way that is not affecting somebody's conscience. Well, uh, first off, uh, it comes from actually second, uh, first Corinthians chapter eight and where you're That's, referencing. So I was thinking um, so, but I couldn't remember for the, I was like, it's, yeah, that, it seems I was right. like, you know, I just read that. So I had to flip the pages to be sure. So, um, I don't want to comment too much on that specifically, um, okay. because we'll get into it later on. Right. Um, but the principle there in which Paul is, uh, addressing is that if there's somebody of a weaker conscience that, really has a limited understanding is that he would best do whatever he can to avoid the offending them. Uh, in that particular case, this person comes out of a pagan lifestyle and okay, we're eating this big old piece of pork right here in front of us. That's not something we're supposed to do, but yet you guys are saying, so what Paul is addressing within that or in chapter eight is um, if a younger brother sees it as a sin because of their lack of understanding, then yes, it's best to submit to that and for the sake of searing their conscience, because it could ultimately deal to the point with, as long as I focus on Jesus Christ, as long as I claim to profess Jesus Christ, then I can do whatever I want within these pagan practices. So I think that's really the, the thing in which Paul is really trying to protect um, to keep the purity of the individual until they continue to grow and get a better understanding. I mean, he's probably back in the corner of the closet eating a slice of bacon or something, right? but in front of, you know, little Jimmy that just came, became a Christian, he's not going to touch it. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, I, I had something else to comment on that. Uh, what, what were you saying there? Cause um, on top of that, because I had something else I wanted to say and I can't remember what it was. Well, we were talking about, um, Oh man, now I'm drawing a blank. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, talking about, obviously we're talking about weaker uh, brothers who don't have correct right. understanding. So let's backtrack here. If that's what we're talking about, we were going back from, um, oh my goodness, it's gone. Awesome. Yeah. I cool. guess we're moving on. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so uh, this is going to bug me. This is really going to bug me. You know, my um, old boss used to say it was either a lie or not important. It's probably not important. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think, um, oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When it comes to confronting these uh, false teachings, um, I mean, and I, I share this. I remember sharing it in a, a men's study group uh, last year before you know, everything went to crap on this uh, earth. Uh, excuse the lingo. Um, but uh Dealing with with false teachings and false teachers, you know, I'm going to categorize them because I think they can, you know, in the same group, and they do come from the same group. But you can take the same approach. Um, before we really identify heresy, um, let's say, for example, um, I'm just going to say the example: uh, Jesus didn't exactly die on the cross. You know, that's what Islam teaches. Um, so, if we take that, if if I was to say that. Uh, before claiming heresy, it is clearly heresy, before claiming myself as a heretic, best thing that another individual can do, you know, like yourself, is say, okay, well, what do you think that? You know, get that approach, draw out why they make that claim, where they got that conclusion from, 
and and help them to really get the better understanding of the specific elements in scripture um, before labeling them as a false believer or a false teacher uh, of anything of the sorts. Uh, because we are to come together in unity uh, under sound doctrines. And that can really only happen if we truly love our brother, as we say we do, as we're supposed to in Jesus Christ, then we will confront these errors um, as they come. And obviously, depending on how dangerous they are, if it's, you know, some minor doctrinal issue, you know, like you said, wine or grape juice, don't worry about it. But, uh, you know, some of the bigger stuff, um, you know, such as the nature of Jesus Christ and this uh, sacrifice on the cross, then yes, they, they definitely do need to be addressed. Um, because it can ultimately lead to, you know, branching out and teaching everybody else that same thing. So um, the best thing that we can do uh, in that approach is to confront the individual privately. Take this, take the Matthew 18 principles, confront them privately, try to figure it out. If they still don't believe it, uh, if they're still stuck in that, bring somebody else who's um, solved the same issue or who understands it the same uh, and might even be able to explain it better to try to, you know, draw that out and then say, oh, yeah, OK, you know, I see you guys are right. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. So, um, but take, yeah, take the opportunity and, you know, to help them to understand because it's possible that the individuals is, is even just young in their understanding, uh, you know, or ignorant or, or you know, whatever word you want to throw in there. Um, much like my, I shared with you with the, uh, the example of my previous church. Um, I was hoping to resolve it myself and uh, it took me a whole entire year before I was willing to admit false teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, that was, you know, my hope was to, to resolve it and, you know, share, you know, get his side of the, the event that happened and, and discuss it. But unfortunately that was not, uh, not possible. So, um, yeah, the first approach, um, when dealing with any sort of heresy or anybody that we would see heretical, take the Matthew 18 approach, uh, with that is what I would say. Right. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, that's a, I don't think I had to, uh, you know what, actually, yes, because I, I was uh, reading this. I, I would I would argue, yes, there is division, um, which uh, I, I want to just pull this out here. Division, according to chapter one, bad. According to, I've got to remember where it's at. I want to say 11. According to chapter 11, I'm flipping my pages. I'll see it when I see it. According to chapter 11, division good. So um, what he says here, what he's talking about, and here's the plus side to divisions. This is the only form of division that we see that's healthy, that's good for the church. Um, and and it, I can't say I see it all the time, but I, I, I think about it myself. And, and I think to, uh, I, when I see this, I'm thinking, I don't see this in the church today. I see them still embracing said person as a beloved in Christ. Uh, well, Paul says here in verse uh, in chapter 11, and again, I'm not going to go into full detail with this. I just want to pull this snippet out. Chapter 11, it says here in verse uh, 18, he says, I hear that there is division among you. So he's bringing up the same issue that he addressed uh, in chapter one, but kind of seems like he's bringing a different approach. Um, on one side of it, he says, don't be don't get involved with division, but, you know, bring across a, a, a unity in Christ. However, in uh, 11 here, he says division is good. He says, and I believe it says in, um, there is division among you. And I believe that in part there must be factions. There must be division among you in order that those, why are we supposed to have these divisions? What kind of division is there to be within the church? Those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So that is the only division within the church community um, that Paul, from what I can tell here, that's the only division that Paul is affirming as acceptable. Um, and again, we'll get into this uh, as we continue this, but uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is a good example of that, confronting the uh, the man who's sleeping with his stepmother. Mm -hmm. Paul goes in, I think, 511, uh, he says, makes it clear to them, as I'm, I'm not telling you to completely avoid the world, but what I'm telling you is that if anybody is within the community of the church, if anybody calls themselves a brother or sister in Jesus Christ, yet is living contrary to that, continuously living that lifestyle of sin, he, what Paul himself 
through the words of God, of course, he is saying, have nothing to do with them. When you guys come to fellowship and they're sitting at one table, go to another table. Make it known that you will have nothing to do with that because of uh, that they continue in said lifestyle. Um, and this is where that division comes into play. That's the only possible division that we have. And uh, I'd say I would say that's completely healthy. Uh, we can you know discuss this uh, as we go on. But uh, the healthy aspect of that, I mean, to the to the to the person who's not a true believer, I mean, it's going to suck. It's like, you know, OK, these guys were my friends. But, you know, now that I'm in whatever sin, there's there's still they're not taking part in this. It's because you're calling yourself a Christian yet living contrary to that. It's not to say that you're going to be perfect. It's not to say you're going to you're not going to slip up. But but you're recognizing you're enjoying said sin that's in your life. Mm-hmm. And you're not repentant of it. This is why we cannot associate with you because you're giving a bad example, not only to the church, not only to your own personal testimony, not only to the church, but also to Jesus Christ himself. So um, there's yeah, one aspect. Uh, it's good. One aspect. It's bad. And it really comes down to uh, the situation and how we approach it. So um and uh, yeah, this is actually the, the tougher stuff that I personally enjoy that we talked about uh, previously because uh, it, it brings out really the more that you analyze, uh, and I would say analyze the deeper, the harder stuff to, to swallow, such as, uh, you know, don't associate with said person or remove them from the church. Um, you know, we'll get through more of this as we continue uh, the book of Corinthians. But it seems to me that this really these actions these these really hard truths to swallow not only protects the purity of the church but it also challenges the unrepentant to repent um so and and that's the plus side that that's really the main reason why i like these hard realities um I would even take it a step further that these uh, hard realities, you know, as you brought up Revelation earlier, um, I don't know if uh, where you stand on that eschatology, but um, when you look at the Church of Laodicea, that's kind of where we're at today, the lukewarm church. Mm-hmm. And when we look at these harder truths and when we try to live these harder truths, it, it kind of starts to heat up the pot a little bit and create a, um, a, a refiner's fire, which is what we would hope for, like you said, kind of protects the purity of the church. Um, and I think that's why it's important to look into these truths and to really try to not only glean them, but apply them to our lives. Cause if we don't, we are nothing more than the lukewarm church of Laodicea. Right. Well, and what's interesting about Laodicea, uh, and you know, specifically it's not in the text, but, uh, it, was, it made a good point. I was listening to a sermon and I've personally applied it to my understanding of Laodicea, uh, is that they, they were dead. They were as dead as dead can be spiritually. Uh, they had all the wealth. And I, I remember reading that, um, I think if I remember right, uh, Tacitus, um, if I have the, my name proper or my name correct on this, uh, Tacitus, the historian, uh, records that uh, when a great earthquake came in and uh, pretty much shattered the city, uh, they rejected financial assistance from Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they just, you know, took their own wealth. So, I mean, that really shows you just how wealthy the city was, but, um, the principle or the, the illustration that was given when I first, um, I would say got a deeper understanding of, uh, these churches was, uh, that of, and I'm going to use the sun because our, our souls, uh, sun, because that's the closest thing. And when I'm explaining this, it's a little easier for me. Um, it's light. It takes it, the light eight minutes to get from the sun to us. So in that eight minutes, the sun could go out any possible time. Mm-hmm. The, heat, the, the heat and light both. Well, I don't know how long the heat takes, but eight minutes for the light to reach us. So sun's gone out. We have eight minutes left. The sun's already dead, but we're still seeing the remnant of that. Um, so likewise, the Laodicea, uh, while they were they were already spiritually dead, but they, of course, still had the community. Um, they still had the, the church building, you know, whatever Bible studies they had and, you know, still had rock and guitar music, whatever, you know, you have in the first century. Um, probably more of a liar uh, than a, a guitar, but probably <laughs> <laughs> um, 
yeah, it was a remnant. Uh, and, you know, the fact that Christ is knocking on that door is really saying that they were spiritually dead. The Holy Spirit was not there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I would say that that's the illustration Christ is trying to make known, not that he's trying to knock to be invited in, but through the writing and the reading of this, making it known that he's not even there. Well, I don't know how far you want to go into that, but the reason I would disagree with you is if you go back, Jesus says, you know, these are the seven lampstands, which are all still lit at that time, which I am among, which means he's among those seven churches, which would imply to me that there is a remnant in Laodicea. Okay. Um, So that's where I would differ with that analogy. Um, But again, that's kind of neither here nor there. That's off topic, you know, but but (laughs) that's, you know, my thought process on that. Okay. Uh, yeah, we can discuss that more, uh, you know, once we get to Revelation. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, still a lot more. But um, yeah, so we've got about f- uh, 50 minutes into this. Um, I That's all I have as far as that. I mean, do you do you have any comments honestly, as far as how we can tackle this division? Or? Um, you know, honestly, at the moment, I don't. Like I told you before we got started, I uh, was beyond busy this week and did not have a ton of time to study. So hopefully next week I'll be a little bit more prepared. So. All right. Yeah, that's not a problem. And I appreciate you coming on board with this. Uh, I had a really good time. Uh, you know, enjoyed talking to you and uh, getting your insights. Yeah, it's a blast. So, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and stick around. I'm going to go ahead and uh, close up this broadcast and we can go ahead and uh, chat over real quick. All right. Sounds good. So, but uh, thanks for joining in. Yep. Thank you. All right, everybody. Uh, that is our show. Uh, we've, uh, I think we've covered quite a bit. If you have any questions or comments, uh, feel, free to put, feel free to put them in the comments. Feel free to email. However it is you want to get a hold, you guys know the drill. Uh, and again, if you know me personally, you can reach out that way. So um, I really hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, and if you do enjoy this, like, subscribe, uh, everything. Share this with your friends, your family. Uh, and even, you know, consider supporting this uh, ministry project uh, financially. It'll help offset the cost that we have and uh, will help us to progress more uh, with this project. So, um, but uh, that's all we have uh, for today. And the next week, uh, we'll be getting into the next segment. Uh, as uh, my Bible here has it said, uh, Christ, the wisdom and power of God. That'll be our uh, topic of discussion uh, next week as we continue our study on the book of first Corinthians. So without further ado, I thank you guys and you have yourself a wonderful time and God bless.